You're listening to Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Gilligan of the Catholic Conference of Illinois, and thank you so much for joining our program here on this cold, frigid morning here in Chicago. It is really cold out. Um, but here we are as we approach uh, Christmas, which is now in, uh, what, six days from now? It's hard to believe uh, that we are this close to uh, celebrating Christmas, which is nice. Get a a little bit of a break here between uh, Christmas and New Year's, we hope, and then uh, back to it uh, very uh, first of the year next year. It's going to be a busy uh, January for us at the Catholic Conference of Illinois, as the legislature is most likely to go back in session during what they're going to call a lame duck session beginning on January 4th, and we have a lot of issues we're going to be involved with uh, during that time. But uh, today, what we want to do is to take kind of a deeper dive into some subjects, and we're going to... Uh, uh, talk about subjects that might be on the docket for us next year, or maybe not. Maybe uh, we will we will find out uh, as bills get introduced sometime in January. But uh, nevertheless, uh, let's just kind of go over an overview of the show right now. Um, our first guest will be on just here in a minute. Uh, she is Maria Jose Fernandez Lopez. Um, she's with Patients, a group called Patients Rights Action Fund. They do very good work across the fifty states. Uh, trying to organize states' uh, uh, advocates uh, against what they call assisted suicide. And we'll talk about that with Maria here just in a second. And then secondly, we'll be talking with Mary Bauer. Mary, uh, along with uh, two other women, Mary Helen Fiorito and uh, Mary Keene, wrote a response to uh, an op-ed that was in the Chicago Tribune recently that really... uh, had a lot of false statements in it, and uh, they tried to address those statements. And so far to date, we have not been able to get the Tribune to print that uh, that uh, response. So we thought we'd talk about it here today for a couple minutes. And Mary Bauer will be on um, after uh, Maria comes on. And then finally, uh, we'll talk to, uh, being at Christmas season, um, talk to uh, an individual, Amy Palumbo. She is out at Catholic Charities in Joliet and talk a little bit about what they do to help people's basic needs here during the holidays where so many uh, have so little and Catholic Charities tries to provide uh, something to those families in terms of their basic human needs. So we'll talk to Amy here uh, about 840. So let's do this uh, without further ado if we have our first guest and we do. Maria, it's good to see you. Thank you for joining us here. Um, I should add that uh, I, I didn't know this, but uh, for some reason I thought Maria lived in Wisconsin, and I was wrong. Um, <laughs> so it's about 2 in the morning uh, where she is. Uh, she's coming to us from Northern <laughs> California. So uh, thank you for getting up early here on this Monday morning, Maria. Thanks so much. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. And I would just like to clarify my name is Maria Jose Fernandez Flores. You said Lopez. So 
Did I really? I, I, well, I, I'll tell you, the reason is, did I say that? I knew that. I was probably looking at something else. Well, I, I don't know what the temperature is where you are, but it's 13 degrees here, so I think I'm still frozen from coming in from the outside. So stay where you are in Northern California, uh, Miss Flores. So if I do that again, just interrupt me. Um, thanks for taking some time this morning. Um, it's great to have you with us, like I said, uh, this bright and early morning. So um, tell us a little bit about uh, patients' rights, action, um, You've been there for a while now, but but tell us a little bit about what you do um, in assisting states to respond to this increasing demand for assisted suicide. Is it increasing, do you think, across the 50 states? Um, that's a tough question. So I'll start with um, what what is PRAP. So Patients' Rights Action Fund is a nonprofit. It's a national, secular, uh, nonpartisan um, organization, and we focus solely on combating assisted suicide across the country. Um, we find it to see uh, to be discriminatory against vulnerable people, in particular um, those with disabilities. And my role as coalition's director is to work across the nation, so with every state, to build coalitions or um, support those that are already existing, and helping them with strategizing with networking and, and any kind of thing that they might need in order to be able to be successful in stopping um, any legislation or preventing for any legislation to even be presented. And so to answer your question, if, do I think it's increasing? Um, I think that uh, the proponents tend to make it look like it might be increasing and that there's more um, desire for it. But when we really think about it and when we really see it, we only really have um, eight states that are legalized. And so um, with the Washington um, District of Columbia being um, also, um, they have it legal. So we really have the majority of the US that actually says we don't want it. <laughs> and so it really, it just depends on the, the, the way that you're looking at it. They're gonna give you a lot of personal stories. You're gonna hear that people are asking for it, but a lot of states, you know, have gone down into propositions and, and said that they don't want it, but yet we still have proponents trying to push it into the legislature. Yeah, it's an interesting subject in that uh, I agree with you based on my limited involvement with it, and I'm getting more and more uh, involved in the details of it now that as we are preparing for possible legislation next year, I'm just looking at the other states and, and, and what's going on throughout the world, quite frankly, the other countries that have it. Um, what it seems to be a relatively small number of people who are clamoring for this, but yet they're pretty mighty in in what their ability to uh, to advocate for this. Tell us a little bit about can you? I mean, I know every state's different, but basically, how does it work? What what are the kind of the the commonalities, the common themes of the legislation that's being passed across the country in those eight states? So the first state that made it le legal was Oregon, and most states tend to look at Oregon as their example. So the terms that the legislation will have are things like it has to be for um, adults, so 18 and up. It normally has some sort of waiting period. The usual is about 15 days. It will have um, attestation, which will be um, either one or two times and it has to be sometimes um, within that waiting period there they some won't mention um mental health evaluation but doesn't necessarily require it and due to lack of reporting we don't always know um, if it's been for some of the states um, in oregon where we have somewhat decent uh, reporting only three percent of the patients really get a mental health evaluation prior to it 
Um, other other aspects is that sometimes there's a falsification of the death certificate. So when they die, even though they chose assisted suicide, they will not put that they took the legal drugs as their form of death. It, they will just mention that it was through their um, through their illness. Because one of for you to be eligible, you have to be in a terminal illness. However, some states are trying to expand into now not necessarily having a terminal illness. We have some accounts where there has been um, individuals with um, diabetes who have died. And the, the thing for that is because you can stop taking your medic, your treatment, and then that will then put you on make, making you terminal. And so then they would become eligible. Or if you have um, anorexia nervosa, unfortunately, that is not a terminal illness. That is a mental illness that can be treatable. But we do have accounts in two in Colorado, two women's in their 30s who died um, from the lethal drugs because somehow they managed to to make them eligible and and make it seem like they were terminal. And so and we have another account in Oregon as well. So even though we have these so-called safeguards, we are noticing that there's some states that kind of push and check or what does it like push push those safeguards in. And because of the lack of reporting in the other states, we're, we're not really sure. Maybe there's more accounts of these people that are dying, but we don't know because they're putting that they might have a terminal illness where they really don't, or they're just not mentioning it at all. Um, is, uh, is, how they made them eligible. It, it seems from what what I hear and what I read and what you see in the media that um, this is, this is uh, advocated for <clears throat> mostly by people who have a terminal illness or, or they think they're going to have a terminal illness, and they don't want to die. You hear a lot about, this is just an option. We're not saying everybody has to do it. It's just just an option. Um, and the option is needed because I don't want to experience pain at the end of death. Nobody wants somebody else to experience pain at all, right, quite frankly, especially at the end of death. Um, how do you answer that? Is is because I've seen statistics that say that most people who actually do want to uh, take those pills to end their life, it the reason they cite is not necessarily pain, but they're but they're they're pushing this because of pain. Is that is that accurate? Um, no, you're you're right with mentioning that statistics are actually pointing that it's not one of the top five reasons that people choose assisted suicide. So when we always point to Oregon data because, like I said, that's the a state that provides somewhat decent information. So all with the other states, we can't really say much because they're um, they either are lacking data or they don't have accurate uh, like data from every year. So with Oregon, we're seeing that they're given the options to choose their reasoning, and they don't have to just choose just one. They can use choose multiple, and it's a, a significant difference between the people um, who say they're choosing it for reasons of pain or fear of pain. So I would like to point out that they don't necessarily have to be in pain in the moment that they're requesting the drug. They can just be afraid of the pain. Mm -hmm. And that's usually around 26% uh, percent of the people. The The people who are um, mainly requesting it are people who, it's like, I believe it's like 96% it's loss of autonomy. Yep. And it's about 92% of people um, who, um, say that it's because they're they no longer have the abilities to do things that they used to do that made life enjoyable for them yep. so the top five reasons are things that are more of um 
things that like that showed a, a form of disability and loss of autonomy versus actual pain. And so, and another point that is important to point out is that there, there's nowhere in the bill that um, that will say they have to exhaust all other options prior to requesting the drug. So, I could be just given it, like you mentioned it, as an option. You can choose to end your life, or you can choose to uh, choose life-saving treatment. It's not, um, it's not that you have to uh, try this first, and then you can, um, if all else fails, then you can try the right. drugs. No. It's just more incentivizing and uh, something that I'd like to note, I don't know if you were planning on mention it later, but it's uh, we see that this can then um, push assisted suicide for those who um, are poor because they might not be able yep. to afford their life-saving treatment. And unfortunately, we have several um, accounts where uh, the insurance companies are actually denying the treatment and but offering assisted suicide to the patient because they uh, they make it more accessible for them. We have somebody in California, Stephanie Packer. She was offered a one dollar and twenty cents copay, yeah. which is ridiculously cheap. But she was denied her treatment, and it was because assisted suicide had just become legal in that year. But prior to that, it was always they were um, providing um, the insurance for her treatment. And so it's just ridiculous how we can have. Um, that being pushed over the other, you know, pre preferring to having them end their life. And I think you you, were you started by saying that, I think in your introduction, you said that um, you're in particularly concerned in representing communities who are vulnerable, uh, marginalized, and, and poor um, on, on the margins. And it, it, it's that population that unfortunately, with our healthcare system being what it is today, it is not, people do not receive equitable treatment. People who have means have better insurance plans than those who with, with, with less means. Um, that's just a fact. And I, 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 the fear, I think, and this is, this is I, I think there's two things here. There's, there is a slippery slope argument, but there is, the, the fear out there is that those people who are most poor and marginalized, um, would be the first to be susceptible to that. Here, take 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 this treatment, which is not a treatment; it's ending your life, as opposed to mm -hmm. something that really could treat you and and maybe alleviate the symptoms. Uh, it, that's a vast difference, and and I think it's being sold and marketed to alleviate pain. But yet, where this is going, I think many people should be concerned about what this not means not tomorrow, but down the road as this becomes more. In, in the culture here, just take this, all your problems are solved. And and those people need the help more than maybe some others do. Yeah, and we also add into the fear that this is gonna sort of normalize That's suicide right. and, and, and make it okay. And, and that can also cause, um, you know, an, an issue among family members. And and a point we haven't also talked about is that abuse can also happen through this through this law. You know, they're not not everyone has a loving family, and and sometimes there's you know greedy people, and they might want their mom or their sibling mm -hmm. to yeah. die so then they can get some kind of hair, uh, inheritance or whatever um, you know financial gain that they would get from that, um, or they just simply like don't want to deal with them. And and there's no there's really no safeguards for abuse, and so that's another concerning aspect as well. One of the things I wanted to bring up too, we have about four four minutes to go. Is um, I, I, this this does drive me crazy on just on a personal level. I don't understand why, but um, <clears throat> the the amount of attention this society gives to suicide is is hardly any. 
And years ago, I was given a presentation, I think, on this subject, and I had to go through some statistics. And I was, I thought, well, okay, suicide in general compared to other things, like how does it, how many are there? You know, just raw numbers. And I was shocked to find out that, like, I, I looked the other day, and I think last year, and it is a little different now, but according to the CDC, um, that there were, I think, in the United States last year, 52,000 suicides, and there were about mm-hmm. 24,000 homicides. And any death is is alarming, and we should be very concerned about et cetera. And, and homicide is a big problem, especially where we are here today in Chicago. But if you look at the number of suicides compared to homicides, it's overwhelming. And not only that, but I think in Oregon, I'd be interested to hear your take on this, is that is there, do you think there is a suicide contagion after this? Because yes. I, I think in general, once the law says something is okay, people consciously and unconsciously, subconsciously are, are more open to doing it. I think that's the case with everything. Yes, no, and completely. And we have seen... Um, um, stats to show it. I am blanking on the exact percentages, but I do know that um, in Oregon, we saw that there was a huge increase in suicide compared to the national average um, across the country. And so obviously suicide is going to be greater in Oregon because that was where assisted suicide is now mm-hmm. um, legalized. And so it's like what I'm mentioning, it's normalizing the idea of of killing yourself now that um, and that it's okay and 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 when we're thinking about how we're trying so many aspects about um, suicide prevention for yeah. everyone else that's not at the end of their life and what it's going to be confusing for them like well why is it okay to take my life once I'm terminally ill or at the end of my life but not right now that I, I think I my life is ending right now and I, you know like all those things that come into their head so it's just very contradictory, and, and, and it really will um, increase the 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 amounts of suicide that happen nationwide if this is to become something that happens across the country. Thankfully, it's not um, legalized in the majority of states, but there is a push to to increase it. And um, something that we've seen as well is that since they're not being successful through legislation at the states. They're going into through court cases, yeah, sure. you know, and, sure. and one of the things that they removed in um, Oregon was that they removed the residency requirement. So before right. it used to be that you had to be a resident of Oregon in order to request these drugs. But now you can live, um, you know, like in Idaho, you can live in any of the surrounding states or anywhere really and just go to Oregon and ask for the drugs and then you can go back and do the lack of reporting and re- reinforcement like. We don't know if they're actually taking the drugs when they're in Oregon or they're bringing it back home. Somebody else might get the drugs. You know, it, it's just really, it's not um, well tracked and reported. It's a scary thing. Um, a couple, last week, somebody had sent me, uh, you, you may have seen this. This is this is years ago. I think it was filmed in 2016. HBO Vice. I didn't even know there was such such a thing. HBO Vice. They did like a, it was probably about a 15 minute segment on this topic when it was pending in California. And uh, it was clearly slanted, showing how you know compassionate and lovely this thing is. But I have to tell you, I, I watched it, and I can't get this out of my mind. There was they went to the Netherlands, and they filmed a woman who had requested uh, to die, and they they filmed the whole thing, the whole process, her coming in, 
And the woman was perfectly fine. I mean, she, she, they said in the, at the beginning that she had some mental uh, issues. And she, she apparently always wanted to die. And now that she was 76, she was going to do it. And they showed this woman actually dying. And the, the injection and the nurse coming and the kids, their, her older children coming. It was very disturbing. The normalization mm. of this. is just She was just going to sleep. And I thought, gosh, this is just, this is a a slippery slope that I think people need to really stop and think about because if you're going to normalize that, you may be on a road you can't get back on, get back on the road to sanity. Yeah, it really is a slippery slope. And, and I think the, the first accounts of, of us seeing how this is maybe going a little too far is in California where through a court case, they tried um, to uh, make basically assistive suicide available um, for those with ALS, they were saying that it was discriminatory against them because one of the safeguards is that you have to be able to self-ingest the drug. And so for those with, um, with that, they wouldn't be able to. And so basically they were making it euthanasia at this point because someone else would have to um, administer the drug. And thankfully they lost. They they it, it's been they appealed and they did it again, but um, we do expect them probably to appeal again. But so far, we're, we're seeing how there is that push. And our neighbors in Canada, euthanasia is just completely normal over there. And there, it's yeah. one of the extreme areas where we can look at. And that might be our future if we're not careful and if we don't stop this and if we don't educate people correctly. Yeah, their numbers are staggering. And I think you're still see people in Canada saying like, whoa, wait a minute. We've gone a little too far here. I, I, you're starting to hear that, mm -hmm. for, even hear reports coming back to the United States. Maria, we got to jump. Um, thank you so much for taking some time this morning. Uh, Maria... Jose Fernandez Flores. Uh, sorry for uh, mispronouncing your name earlier. Thanks so much for taking some time. I know it's a tough subject, especially around the holidays, but uh, I think we're going to be talking about it here in Illinois next year. Hope not, but I got a feeling we're going to be. Thank you so much and have a great Christmas. Thank you. Thanks. Don't go away, everybody. We'll be right back. We'll be talking to uh, Mary Bauer. Uh, she penned a response to an article in the Chicago Tribune, and uh, we want to get her take on why she did so and some of the false uh, narratives put forth in that editorial. Don't go away, everybody. We'll be right back.